You're listening to the Living a Life Unleashed podcast. Welcome to the Living a Life Unleashed podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Bishop. Thanks for tuning in. If you are new to this podcast, welcome. I'm so glad that you are hanging out with us because the goal of this podcast is to equip us to live a life that is unhindered and unleashed. And each week we will talk about a topic that is meant to spark ideas and give you ways to grow, get unstuck, gain new insights, and compel you to action as we journey together to play full out and live fully into who we were created to be. Well, I'm excited about our podcast today because I have invited Dr. Rosie DeRose on our show. And Rosie is the author of the book, Unseduced and Unshaken, The Place of Dignity in a Woman's Choices. Dr. Rose is a professor of literature, English, and homiletics at Moody Bible Institute, and she earned her MA in English from Northeastern Illinois University, her MDiv from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and her PhD in language, literacy, and rhetoric from the University of Illinois at Chicago. In addition to teaching, she regularly appears on Moody Radio Network programs as a guest, and she speaks at conferences and seminars. Rosie lives on the north side of Chicago. Well, Rosie, I'm excited to have you in the studio today. I loved your book, Unseduced and Unshaken, The Place of Dignity in a Woman's Choices. And today we're going to talk about the topic of dignity. But before we do that, you have been a professor for over 40 years. I have been a professor for almost 50 years, which is hard to believe it's going to be 49 in May, which makes me feel, of course, like the ancient of days, which I am (laughs) the ancient of days. But it also means, of course, that I've seen five decades in Chicago, which has profoundly changed. And I've been under five presidents at Moody Bible Institute. So I've grown up there, really, basically. So I've gone from my students getting crushes on me to them calling me mom and now it's grandma. (laughs) (laughs) You have seen a lot. Oh, my goodness. But I, I'm curious, in the 49 years of, of teaching, what are some of the things just in the classroom environment that have been different? It's completely different. Think about what a classroom was with, without te- technology. So, And that has absolutely mushroomed in the last 10 years. So I have had to make adjustments from really handwriting, honestly, to the old royal typewriter where it engraved the paper and then to the electric typewriter and then to the selectric and then to the computer in the 90s. So, uh, and of course, I've seen the change culturally from students who came in dressed up, even in suits and, you know, girls always wore dresses and they had to wear hose and it was all that stuff to the kind of progression till about 20 years ago when it completely went casual. And now, of course, it's sometimes abysmally casual. I can't even <laughs> imagine in hose. I don't know the last time yeah. I put on a pair of those. I'm kind of glad that. That, trend is, uh, <laughs> that trend has escaped us. Well, I have to say that mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm sitting in the presence of one of the probably most wise women I know and Aww. also the most smart and in just intellectual women. I know you're incredibly well-read. How many books do you think you've oh. read? Can oh, you even you estimate? Know, I can't estimate. You can't. I guess somebody told me they thought I had a 1,000 in my house, and I oh had that many till I started giving them away in my office, I suppose. But I have no idea. I do it for fun, not to prove anything. So, But that's, yeah. that's one of the things I think is really... Um, 
wonderful about you is that you are highly intellectual, very well read, very oh. like wise and smart and cool. Like you, you know what I mean? Because sometimes super, well, that's a super intellectual people are just they're fake. really stuffy. I don't actually get along with them. I've always said I have a foot in a blue collar world and a foot in a white collar. I'm not in one or the other. No, yeah, you are yeah, one of a kind yeah. in the best kind of way. So thanks so much for hanging out with us. You know, I I loved reading your book, and I I just recently. Read Read through it as well. And, you know, the, I, I hope if this is okay to say this, but if I were to sum up this book, not that you can, in one word, it would be a word that you use in the opening or, or the subtitle, dignity. Mm-hmm. It's just, we don't use that word. No, days. it's absolutely, in fact, dignity, what we hear the word most about is dignity and dying. It's, mm. it's about almost euthanasia or, you know, it's kind of strange how dignity is used. Actually, I was never interested in writing a book, as my introduction says, and a group of students in a class conned me into it. And pretty soon (laughs) I'd signed a, signed a contract, but I did a talk at Elmbrook years ago, uh, main talk, and that main talk became the first chapter. And the way it happened was that I saw the 2011 version of Jane Eyre, which is a really good version. Uh, None of them are perfect, but the reviewer of the movie in The Reader, which is a Chicago, let's say, quasi-edgy, very edgy. Is that still around, The Reader? Oh, yeah, it's still around every week. A very good reviewer, actually. He reviewed Jane Eyre and called her a dignified character with great moral purpose and resolve. And I was staring at that in the reader, which is not known for moral purpose and resolve. No, 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 not in any way. (laughs) And I was prompted to write a lecture, which then became the first chapter, because I realized that the missing ingredient in a lot of women's lives, including my own students, was they had no measure to live up to, and they had kind of fallen apart in their womanhood and become so acculturated that they were embarrassing, or they did not behave in ways that were pleasing to God, which if there's anything God gives women, it is dignity. He gives all creatures dignity. Right, right. We need to live up to it. So how would you define dignity? What What is dignity? It, it, it's a sense, it, it, I always think of the, the, I do have it defined properly by the dictionary definition, but it's wisdom, it's containment. Containment is one of the things that nobody talks about anymore. That sense of, of holding back, of speaking appropriately, of nobility of character. And I think we get dignity confused with poise. And and we, it, it, let's think of two characters, Princess Diana mm-hmm. and Mother Teresa. Nobody would ever deny that Princess Diana was one of the most poised, beautiful, stylish women in the world, still very well known. But she died a very undignified death, having dated a man who was really kind of a bad man. Mm-hmm. So she really, her character unraveled in the face of her personal tragedy and her not being loved by her husband. Mother Teresa died the same week that Princess Diana died, and and it was eclipsed by her. And you would never describe Mother Teresa as poised or stylish, but you would describe her as dignity because Mm. it was an issue of character. Right, right. So would you say that being dignified is... uh more important than being stylish. There's no comparison. And it doesn't mean you can't be both. Right. But it does mean, I think that we are far more concerned. I know the pressures, even as a very much older woman, of being a kind of aging well or being stylish or keeping up. And sometimes you worry about that more than you do your character. Yeah. No, I... it's, I think it's everywhere. I agree with that. In, in your book, you do define uh, dignity. You say formal, grave or noble bearing, conduct or speech, nobility or elevation of character, and then the quality or condition of being worthy, esteemed or honored, inherent nobility and worth, 
poise and self-respect, formal reserve or seriousness of manner, appearance or language. That's, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. And there are so many decisions about your life that go into that. And so all the following chapters in the book unravel the parts of your life. You can't be dignified and ignore your life. You, it's not something you can posture. It means your choices of entertainment, the way you handle technology, the way you practice dating and sexuality, the way you are modesty folds into dignity. I think we so often think of modesty as a uh, uh, my my students don't even like to talk about it because they feel like it's a list of rules and they haven't understood that it's what God wants us to be before him and that when we are modest in character and bearing and clothing, it's the way people look at us and respect us for our intelligence and our character instead of just looking at body parts. Mm-hmm. So all the decisions that we do in our lives fold into that. Everything is theological. Everything the, To be theological as a Christian is to be dignified. It's what you read. It's what you watch. It's everything, every choice. So why do you think dignity is kind of a... I don't even know. It's probably not proper to say it's a lost art. It's not, but why, why is, it is dignity... It is a lost art. Why is dignity... I I think we became more and more secularized and our lives became more and more truncated where especially our faith did not speak to the rest of our life. Our faith was a Sunday, services, going on missions trips, and we never occurred to us that the rest of our lives were also important in terms of dignity. I I don't know how many students I've... who have said to me, who have read the book, or people, said, when I heard dignity, that made me want to be more sexually responsible in my relationship. Mm. We haven't had models of it. It, it, And I have them think about what who have you thought about as dignified? You know, I, I know who I think about as dignified. Somebody who just presents themselves as self-possessed. In other words, they know what they think, not in an arrogant way. They're sure of what they want. That has come into line with the Lord. It doesn't mean that you're wearing homeschooling jumpers, as I often say, <laughs> or that you're dowdy or you're an old lady in stained sweats and tennis shoes, oh, but you're boy. dignified. It means that you present a character that is secure and formed by God. And and also this um, the second chapter written by Pam McRae, one of my colleagues, about voice. Do you have a sense of voice, which means you have a sense of self? You are not afraid to speak up. In this recent sexual crisis we've had going on with Harvey Weinstein and all these other people, what none of those women, including some of our actresses who are favorites, have had is voice. They have gone down to a pressure in order to become something that did not contain dignity. If they had really, if their parents had bred in them dignity, they would have said, not on your life. Mm. I will not sacrifice my person to this, this human being who is desecrating my dignity. So how do we do that? How do we, people who are parents that might be listening to this, or how, how do we grow in dignity and how do we help other people to grow in a more dignified manner, do you think? I think a lot of parents have bought the lie that, that to be liked by the young is the most important thing and that to be popular is the most important thing. And they have not thought about... I think parenting is hard. I don't think a lot of people are well-parented. They have to have a sense of voice to transfuse that, and they have to be in charge, and they have to say... I care about your soul and I care about your character. And, you know, it, it's the connection between the father. It's a connection between a dignified mother, not one who's trying to keep up with her daughter or compete with her daughter or retain her beauty forever. Let's face it, the body moves east and west and south. It does not move north, <laughs> as we all know. 
and it's what you read. I think so much, even in Christendom, women's stuff is silly. It's pink. It's it's fluffy. It's it's full of cliches. It's a lot of talk about how to pray, how to have your devotions, how to please your husband, how to raise, you know, but it, it doesn't go back to the issues of the intellect. Let's get back to the intellect. What novels are you reading? Are they great? Are you in a good book club? When you go to movies, do you watch them thoughtfully? And do you teach your children to discern? Discernment is part of dignity. Mm-hmm. That's interesting too. And when I, when I hear that too, I hear there has to be a lot of intentionality. Intentionality. Right? Do you think that's missing? I think you <gasps> oh. even address that in your book that we kind of, I don't know how you quite described it. You probably remember, but but I think we live with a lot of, uh, with a lack of intentionality in we our go lives. default to what default, we, right. we we go default and we go default to what the church is saying is working we go default to what the culture is saying is important to read or to think to be christian is to be unpopular somewhat mm-hmm. it is to do things counterculturally it's to say i will not seek pleasure at the expense of my mind and my character so let's talk about that because in your book you quote a female student who says it takes so much strength to be unseduced by culture. Oh, and here's where technology comes in, and I I feel very powerfully that until you develop a philosophy of leisure and and technology and you get control of your technology, you won't have dignity and you won't model it to other people. Uh, in my classroom, I allow not one shred of, tech, of technology, and if they start violating it, there are huge penalties. I have a colleague who has gone so far as to say, you make one mistake and you're out of here. Wow. And I, I say to them, we're going to learn to talk to each other, and, and I also have them do a five-day fast, media fast, in the freshman year, and that means no music, no talking to their parents. Their parents call too much. The parents are hovering over children too much. They're ripping the heart out of them by hovering over them. Uh, no no contacting your your friends by text. You have to meet to do it. It's a hardship. The first day they're really upset, irritated with me. Which, it's like withdrawal. It's literally. With, oh, no, no. And ev- almost everyone would admit they have a full-blown addiction. Yes. And then no, no social media. Social media is almost a violation of dignity because we resort to ego. You know, if I get on, I'm not, I don't Facebook, but occasionally my students sign me up as an act of vengeance so I can get on it, which is very funny. And, and so I can get on it for gossip reasons, if you know what I mean, to Mm. see what somebody, I am so depressed every time I get on, by the time I see people with their husbands, their children, their perfect trees, their meals, or the idleness of the chatter, or, oh, you two look so beautiful. The picture's not that great. Why are they saying, and, oh, that's nice. And it's just idleness and it's not using time well. What would you do if you didn't do that? I would say I have five to ten percent every year of my students that give up Facebook. Wow! And uh, and and a lot, all of them come to understand that it's a nervous habit. They don't look up. They don't look at each other. I told my girls long ago to be dignified is not to accept a date by text. Oh, he calls amen. you on the phone or he talks to you, right? And you tell him to bet. There's an essay at the end of this book about a girl who totally got rid of a relationship because of that. I, and I, how she learned that. I totally agree with that. What ha- yeah. what happened to the being in a person's space and having the courage, courage to, to... To ask. That's yeah. right. And then a man who really understands that. And I mean, I'm, I'm terribly worried about it because I think parenting has been so affected. Even NPR did a whole thing on the orphanhood of children because of this text, the phone. They don't talk to their animals on the street when they walk them. They don't talk to their children. They don't talk to each other in restaurants. So I think probably one of the first things to do for Dignity Today is to 
at least abandon technology for a couple of days to see where you are in, in, in relationship to it and then to begin a life that is thoughtful about it. Yeah, and, and as you said, too, it's to you know not be on autopilot, right. that we're actually right. waking up a little bit, interrupting our That's patterns right. to see what patterns have I fallen into that mm. just are not healthy. Exactly, and to be present to life. Yeah. Life is so wonderful. I never take a walk with a phone. If I fall, I fail. You have to go some way, <laughs> you know, and you, you need to go do things with your friends and say, we're all going to put it away. Families need to say there will be no technology at this meal at all. Yeah. We've got to have time together. So I think that's one of the big, I feel like people are very undignified all the time. They're always looking at their phones in an airport. You don't hear anything on an L anymore. You don't even hear interesting conversations. So tell, so, so, so being, one can be undignified by being on the phone or technology because how, how does that show a lack of dignity? Because it shows that they have this focus on something that keeps them from looking into people's faces, being aware of their circumstances. They are showing signs of addiction by their focus. They don't hear people talk. They don't pay attention to their friends. And if you're a Christian, it's even more because Christ was utterly relational and he would never have had a phone out in front of him mm. with another human being. Yeah, that's good. So, so what are some other marks of a dignified woman? I think one who is... Um, that we get the gentle submissive thing all the time and it's terribly misinterpreted that usually means just somebody shy and quiet gets dominated i think a very strong person can be can be dignified of course i do and some very quiet people cannot i think it's somebody who knows her mind She's made decisions about herself, not in relationship to what the culture thinks she should be or a man thinks she should be, but not in that uh, abrasive way that says, I'm just myself, and then you do all kinds of weird things to prove that. Right. It's, it's a quiet knowing who you are, what you want, refusal to do the things that the culture does that you think God has a superior way for, it, it, in a sense of having an opinion. And I think that the second chapter is so good. In a sense, and the third chapter is great too, and that's the one on longing, and I didn't write it, so I can say that. I'm not talking about my own chapters here. The third <laughs> chapter on longing, a lot of people have talked about because it has to do, what you long for is who you are. Hmm. James K.A. Smith has said that what you love is what you are. So if my longings are not in order, and I think it's Elizabeth Elliot that said, let not your longing spoil the appetite of your living. So if your longing say to marry, which is perfectly natural, everybody, I wouldn't want to not have wanted to marry. Mm -hmm. I did not, but I would not have wanted not to. But if that becomes the dominant focus of your life, it means that your life is not God's. It, he understands that longing, and that right. has to be put in in, in there. But it cannot dominate everything, which means that you dress to it, you go places to it, you act with men to it. There's something higher than that. And you'll probably meet the best man while you're pursuing other things, and they come together because the two people are focused on serving God more than they are on meeting that longing. Or if you find yourself writing, reading romance novels all the time, you know, the old joke about Amish romance, put a bonnet on it, you know. <laughs> I've never, I've never so heard one that. One of my students told me that. Or things that are really just chick flicks, which there are very good chick flicks, and I, I watch them, but or just shallow things. You have to step it up. Read Jane Eyre instead of one of the more idle romances, even if they're Christians. Read something that where there's a woman who has made real moral choices 
in the face of a great longing of the heart and has done the right thing. We will model that. Yeah. And you mentioned as far as choices go, one of the things uh, in your book, it says discretion leads to self-respect and being respected. It is a chosen kind of voice, a core part of dignity. Mm -hmm. Discretion means the ability to read and be insightful about the things that are presented to you. The women that I teach are always saying, we have nobody talking about this. How do I discern the better choice? How do I Mm. discern that this was not the way to go, that maybe this shop was not doing good things for me because it was presenting women as whore. Mm -hmm. There are shops that present women as whore. Maybe there's a better place to shop so that my head isn't stirred in that direction. Maybe I need more discernment about the kind of men that come after me or how I'm presenting myself. It's so thoughtful. It's intentional. Right, right. It is. And you talk a lot in your book about the intellect, and you also talk about living above our emotions. Mm-hmm. Living above our emotions. So how does living above our emotions... And emotions are God-given. They're like a, marvelous. Mar- like, And I, I think one thing that, from a Christian perspective... One thing is we can say emotions are bad. They're mm-hmm, not mm-hmm, bad. We mm-hmm. actually need emotions. Mm-hmm. They're God. They're the delight given. of life. Absolutely. Yeah. So so just confirming that that emotions are good and and God has emotions and you know we see the Psalms of David has, you know, every emotion. Right. right. Jesus had sad, angry, exactly. joyful. So emotions are not a bad thing. Tell us what it means to live above our emotions. Well, emotions are are sometimes, depending on your background, and we all, I think, come from damage, and we all have things that have to be worked out, and they, until we're thoughtful about them or have been beat up a couple times, we don't know how they're they're gearing us. And I think there are two tendencies. Sometimes people become Christians, and they say, those emotions got me in trouble, so I'm throwing them out. And mm-hmm. then they have this rigid, rational Christianity that is unlit by any fire. No, the emotions are then presented to God, and by the text of the Word of God, which gives you plenty of of guidance and good friendships. We must have good friendships yeah. and our friendships cannot just be people like us. It has to, my friends are not like me and I am deeply grateful. The minute I meet somebody like me, I usually don't like them. I go, oh boy. <laughs> people who can read you. And my last chapter is about that. I use the example of the help, the movie where the uh, black, I love that the, movie. Yeah, yeah, and the black help puts her thumb into um, mm. the main characters and it's, uh, Starts with an S anyway. Her remember. hand, and she says, You listen to me every day you get up and you tell yourself what is a lie that you've been told. And we need friends that tell us that emotion's a little out of control. You need to just, it's not a bad emotion, it's just out of control. Everything must be, our emotions must be guided by our reason, and our reason must be softened by our emotions. Right. That's good. Yeah, I'm just thinking about that. That's a that's a lot to chew on. Yeah, it is. Of, I feel it like is. we need a long yeah. pause on yeah. that. When kind of, so one of the other things that uh, another quote in your book is that dignity demands that we remember that we are daughters of God, that mm-hmm. we belong to Him at all times, but particularly when, as Jane says, we are insane. So in this quote, it's referencing um, Jane Eyre. But can you tell us a little bit about? That quote and what it means. Yes, Jane Eyre falls deeply in love with uh, the man whose little daughter she is the governess for, and he does with her. And one of the very interesting things about the book is that it's a relationship that Eros is born in the head. Eros, when your mind is involved with somebody and you really are attracted to their mind, that's when you're really in danger and you need to stay in public places. And but it's also the way it should be that our mind is engaged. So their minds are very engaged, but. 
he has a situation in his life that she doesn't know about. And when he asks her to marry him, she says yes, but on the wedding day she finds out and she runs because moral resolve kicks in. And she says, even though my blood is running in my veins and I am insane with love and desire for him, I am going to do the right thing by the God who made me. Mm. And she does. And the book has a happy ending, but not before both people are prepared for each other. That So wow. that's, that's the context for that. Right. Yeah. So even in the heat of a moment, fill in the blank. that we need to stand on dignity. And we need to know the Lord. And one of the things I would encourage every woman to do is to read the Gospels with a new eye because Christ's interactions with women are just marvelous. They are, he is not the kind of person you, he's not a guy in a white robe with a blue towel over his arm, stalking around with very good hair, you know, (laughs) not saying a word. He is living and he defends women and he is just a marvel in his behavior and acceptance and giving of dignity to women, even when they haven't had it. Yeah. He encourages them to step up. Can you talk a little bit more? Um, we we talked a couple minutes ago about dignity in a woman's voice. I just want to camp out there a little bit. And by voice, um, we have a distinct voice. When I teach writing, I tell students, a lot of you are going to start to develop. I'm going to know your voice. When I read that, I'm going to know that you say that thing distinctively and that that is Jim or that that is Bethany because it's the humor or the edge. And it's true. It, we cannot, we are not whiteouts. And so many women don't have voice. Even women who seem strong and even sexy or are out there, they're simply imitating something they think is voice, but they have never found the true self under there that says, this is who I distinctively am. Uh, for example, I am a very strong person and have had to mellow that down. But I'm not going to destroy all that strength. The strength had to be mellowed, given back to God, who then said, and you can have this sense of humor this way, and you can say that outrageous thing once in a while. Even it's not going to, not something that hurts somebody. We, and I have opinions about certain things, and I must subject them to the Lord. But it's, it's not sitting back. So many women in the church, and that is a good chapter, sit back, and they're afraid because men have told them they can't speak or their voice is not important or it's the male voice that matters. They don't have voice. And so they end up doing what Mary Ellen Ashcroft years ago in a book called The Temptations Women Face, which is perfecting their bodies, perfecting their hair, perfecting their homes, perfecting their children. In the whole thing, they've had no voice because they have been simply using the externals to give them the image that is theirs. So how do we, in the... In the the vein of dignity or in the spirit of dignity? How do we find our voice in a dignified way? And how do we express our voice in a dignified way? You probably won't be dignified all the time. You'll probably have a stage of anger when you realize that you have been repressed or you haven't had a voice. And then you'll kind of go blah. And then you'll come back. And we have to be patient with each other. And then you will direct that into the things that you have decided you love and that are important. And nobody's going to stop you from because that is what God wants you to do. Um, In the chapter 14 of Mark, Mary of Bethany, who was, of course, Lazarus's sister, uh, just loved Christ. They had a very, very unique friendship. And she comes into this, what is really, you know, an elders meeting without the benefit of coffee or coffee cake. (laughs) And she has voice because she, she breaks this perfume over him. And then the disciples immediately try to repress her voice. And they say, why has she done this thing? She could have sold that perfume and given it to the poor. And Christ immediately comes through and he says, stop bothering her. She has done a beautiful thing for me. And she has initiated the passion. In other words, he makes her part of the passion account. And he Mm -hmm. says, and what she has done will always be told about her. Mm. And sometimes I think we, 
as women in the church, we think we have to do this and this and this, you know, do the women retreat thing or the, the tables or fall into, and there's a lot of pressure. I was never the type that could do that. Yeah. I didn't mind being given orders to go do something, but there were other things I could give that were distinctively what I wanted to do. Right. And right. God had given me to do. Well, and the thing that comes to mind to me too, in the, the finding the voice and being dignified, part of being dignified is being respectful, not only of oneself, but of other people mm-hmm. too, right? Mm-hmm. A dignified woman oh, shows respect yes. for herself yeah. and shows respect for other people. You don't mow people down. You don't. Yes, that's exactly right. You, in fact, you listen more. Mm-hmm. You listen more and you try to encourage them. One of the things I say, we all ought to be stepping up as role models to even, even if you're 17 to a 15-year-old, a 21-year-old to a 19-year-old and helping to form them. It's a hard life out there. Yeah. There are many pressures. Why, you know, and I, we, we talked a little bit about this, but I just, I keep thinking in my, in my mind of, again, the reason I wanted to talk about this book and this word dignity is because I just, I think it's, it, it isn't something we we talk about, but how do we, how do we, how do we train dignity? How do, how do I, how do I, okay, I'm listening to this conversation saying, wow, you know what? I really want to be a more dignified woman. What are some steps? Now you mentioned earlier getting off social media, which I mm-hmm. agree with because social media, it's, it's what we fill our heart and mind with that is going to propel or be the, the thing that we respond or act mm-hmm. out of. So we have right. to remove things from our lives. You have that, to remove right? things. You have to do a, a personal assessment. How much time am I spending? Read the little book, um, Unfriend Yourself by Kyle. It's not coming. Well, Unfriend Yourself. You can find it easily. Tiny little booklet. And it talks about the lies that Facebook tells us. And then start removing the idle things from your life. I don't mean all of them, but just a little bit at a time. It's a little bit like when you go on a diet or you find out you have to be gluten-free. You have to remove some things and then creatively add them. And then ask yourself, when was the last time I really read a good book off a good reading list? Mm-hmm. And and you can start, you don't have to start with the Brothers Karamazov, you know, you start with Jane Eyre, I would say. That is a great, I love that book. It's a wonderful so book. Good. It's a wonderful book. Get some girls together to talk about it and say, we don't want to end up with our lives in 20 to 30 years having married poorly, made bad decisions, fallen into the sexual mores of the day. And I think that we need to speak it. We need to say, Women, dignity is important. So let's go after this. Let's talk about it. Right, right. And be aware of, am I following more of the cultural pattern Mm -hmm. or am I following more of what, who God is, who who he has created me to be as a woman. And I think we have, you know, and and from a Christian perspective too, we, I've seen the leaning towards culture Mm -hmm. because it's easier in some ways, right? Oh, oh, it's just almost automatic. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to, you have to come, I'm much older, so I know when things were different, but if I were younger, I have a lot of respect for how hard it is to, my students say, I don't even know how to think about sexuality because of the barrage. And these are good Christian girls, but they don't even know how to, they don't even know what the lines and boundaries are. How do we, what has controlled our ideas of sexuality, of womanhood, of what is attractive, of what is important to do? And the, and the church is not always good either because they present so much shallow material. Yeah. And that the word self-respect comes to mind mm-hmm. to me too. That's a, right. that's a good, you know, to, to put things through the lens of dignity, to put the, the through the lens of self-respect, which it's right. kind of one and the same in, in some degrees. But, you know, will this relational decision mm-hmm. I'm making... Well, that a bet who I am as a woman and come from someone who is, you know, much older and is coming into the last 20 years of my life. Hmm. Uh, 
nothing is more important than ending well or coming into a, a, an era. It's not that I haven't made mistakes. I've made plenty of them. But coming into an era of stability and knowing that there's nothing I would do now to spoil the life of Christ in me. Mm. And it's worth everything. Yeah. It's a great comfort. Oh, absolutely. It's and, a great and, comfort. And that is what our, I mean, it, what our grounding and compass That's has right. to be. is it has to be. And, and, and the way I'm living, the way mm-hmm. I'm thinking, the choices mm-hmm. I'm making, are they dignified, mm-hmm. i.e., are they giving glory to God? Because yes. that's mm-hmm. what it, the Holy of Holies, right? That's exactly right. And in yeah. and, 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 and the holiness, and God says as followers of Christ, we are holy. Am I living up to that reputation of who Christ, who God already says mm-hmm. I am in Him, mm-hmm. or am I allowing the cultural pull because it's easier, it's more popular? Mm-hmm. To You to, don't run yeah. up against obstacles. People, you think, you feel like they like you better. But you have to ask yourself, what do I self-medicate with? Talk about that a little bit more. You know, we all self-medicate with something. Do I self-medicate with food? Do I self-medicate with social media? Do I self... What am I distracting myself from in terms of the things that haunt me? You know, we're all haunted. We're haunted mm-hmm. human beings by the things that have happened to us in the first 20, 30 years of our lives. What is haunting you? And what happens the minute you're haunted? Do you run to something or do you... Self, do you self-medicate or do you face it straight on, get the help you need and go through to the next step? What, what's an example? Can you think of an example for yourself or one? Um, that- I was very overweight till I was in my mid-20s and it was self-medication. And it was, I don't know, it was the particular issues that had afflicted my home. It was a good home, but it had its problems. Um, I think I self-medicated probably with too many people all the time, a real social And I've had to learn to pull back and be alone and not just pick up a phone or make a plan. I could be a workaholic, but I am not. My family is. They've all self-medicated with work. Work is something that we honor, and therefore we don't see it as a self-medication. Gobs of people are self-medicating with work. Right. They avoid things. They avoid the connections they need. I'm not there at all anymore. And then just be present to life, you know, go out. This morning I took a walk at 6.30 when the sun was coming up by the Loyola campus. It was absolutely glorious. And it washed over me with a freshness that that was there for the morning. And and I'm I'm not giving you great virtuous pictures. I do walk at 6.30 with a friend on Wednesday mornings. I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah, Well, (laughs) one of the few exercise issues. But it was just so beautiful. And I deliberately went to the lake so the sun would rise and come up. And to stand there, I didn't have to take a picture of it. First, I thought, oh, I should have a picture. Why? Let me just be present in this glory that's Mm -hmm. never captured by a picture. And it was stop Instagramming. Stop doing all that stuff. And just sit in the moment. And be there. Right. Yeah. Be, be present there. to be the, life. Be present to life. Well, in the, the minute or so that we have left, any final words on dignity that you would like to leave for our listeners? Yeah. Read well. Uh, be deeply embedded, especially in the story of the life of Christ, and look for the role models that are dignified and older, and maybe present yourself to them and say, talk to me about it. Yeah, I love I love the picture of a dignified woman. It's just so mature, and it it's is. so refreshing, and it it's, it's just so attractive. It is so attractive. So attractive. Well, Rosie, thank you so much. This time flew by. It, oh, my it did fly goodness. by. <laughs> I just love you. Thank you so much <laughs> for you. sharing your wisdom <sighs> with us and your personality, and 
Well, it's I, a- I love that you have such zip. <laughs> You're zippy. For an old girl, not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you once again. Highly recommend you can go on Amazon and you can get Unseduced and Unshaken by Rosalie De Rose. You can Google that. I really highly recommend get a copy of this and grab your small group of gals, grab a a friend group, grab one other woman, go through this book together. It is refreshing. It is not like anything else you've ever read. I've never read a book that talks about dignity in this way, and it is a lost art, and God created you to be dignified, and being dignified is actually more awesome than being undignified. Trust me. So read this book, be encouraged, know that you are loved, and we will see you next time. 